before we, I got a little bit of a surprise for you that I want to play in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to have a little bit of a prayer time, too. Um, you know, about four or five of us, four, maybe three or four tonight in this crowd, um, have sat in the dirt in Abalak, Niger. And um, it's hard to believe about ten years ago, maybe nine years ago, we made our first journey. It was me, Judy, Nan, and Nelda. And uh, we went across the desert and got stuck and lost and all kind of crazy things. And um, we met uh, Mohamedoun and several other people there in Abalak. And at that time, it was a little bit hot politically, but not too bad. But things went downhill pretty rapidly. I still remember going to visit a British missionary there and him saying to us, did y'all know there's a curfew? And Sharon, the missionary, said, no, we didn't know that. He goes, yeah, there's an order to shoot to kill. So you might want to go home. <laughs> you know, so, so yeah, so, you know, you never knew in Niger. It's kind of pretty radical. We did a couple of mission. Uh, we did one feeding tour there. We did two mission trips. I'm sorry, medical trips there. And um, it finally got so hot that politically, I'm speaking, by the way, not physically, politically hot that we could no longer go there. And then, of course, about four years ago, um, some, some folks invaded there, and uh, al-Qaeda was involved in it. And again, it got more politically hot. More than sharing quit going themselves long before even that. Well, we received a, a text from Judy Miller, who is in Mali, and we've served with her multiple times, um, about an aid worker that was kidnapped. He had chosen to stay near Abalak, even though it was very, very dangerous. And so I want Judy to come up and share um, a little bit about that. And then, um, I, I, I won't, I can't tell you very much, um, but as y'all know, Matt and Bethany serve in a pretty difficult part of the world, and they're just requesting a special prayer. And so I want to pause and have prayer tonight. And I've asked David if he will lead the prayer from about Abalak and then also about Matt and Bethany. So Judy, if you'll come up and share just a little bit of that article, and then David, if you'll come up and pray. Judy Miller sent this article um, this afternoon. And so I'm reading from, um, I think it's a French newspaper. Jeffrey Woodkey, the first American to be kidnapped in the West African company, country of Niger, um, was seized at gunpoint from his home in the central town of Abalak on Friday. And they are tracking them, the kidnappers, and they have crossed the border into Mali. Um, these are two different terrorist groups that are linked to Al-Qaeda that are involved. They said we've had, um, this is the, one of the officials in Niger said we have had no contact with them because it is a terrorist organization. He, Woodkey has been in the Abalak area since 1992, working for J-Med, that's J-E-M-E-D, an aid group, helping the local Tuareg community, and that's what we were there doing was working with the Tuareg people. A local resident who knew him described him as perfectly integrated with the population speaking the Toreg's Tomashek language fluently, as well as Fula and Arabic. We've tried many times to make him leave the area as he was more exposed than ever, but he refused, saying that he wasn't afraid. So Woodkey's kidnappers burst into his home around 9 p.m. on Friday night killing a bodyguard and a member of the National Guard before seizing the aid worker and heading west. And so now they're thinking they have taken him into Mali, and I, 
I suppose there's not any more updates. Um, sometimes you hear things and sometimes you don't, but this is the first American in the country of Niger. So we're praying for that and we're also praying for our friends Matt and Bethany serving in Central Asia and some things going on there that we can't share for obvious reasons that you guys have heard many times before. Um, we, when we sit here in the safety and comfort of our room and it's difficult sometimes for us to fathom the why. And this summer at uh, Super Summer, Camp Brent and I both are involved in for multiple years now. For the second year in a row, we were able to FaceTime, like visual, like video call with Matt from Central Asia. And that question came up from the students. Why? Why, why would you go? Why would you do this? Why would you, especially, why would you take your kids? And he gave a two-part answer that is the best. It's the most articulate. He's obviously spent a lot of time fleshing this out. But it's the, one of the best responses. He said, there's two reasons that I, I'm here. This is the best way I've, I've, to give a concise answer. So number one. Because of what I've seen God do in my life and Bethany's life, I want, I, want to grow, I want to continue to grow and my kids to grow up and for all the people that I can influence to have a truly global perspective on the mission of the gospel. That's part one. Part two was more impactful. He said, when I look people in the eye in this area and I talk to them about following Christ, and I talk to them about the cost. And we can't imagine the cost that they have to count. And we talk to them about the, counting the cost and walking away from at great risk to themselves, to their families, to their personal safety, to follow Christ. I want to be able to look them in the eye and say with integrity, I am right here with you. I am right here with you, walking the same path with you. And that's why. And that's why he this man refuses to leave Abalak, and that's why our friends are in Central Asia. And truthfully, that should be the same motivation behind what we do here. We say sometimes grace is messy. Yeah. It's, it's messy, and it's difficult. And tonight, we're praying for our friends. Father God, we, we thank you. Thank you for your gospel. I still remember uh, four years ago, Four and a half years ago now almost when I, when I literally watched you break my friend and call him to missions. It's one of the few times in my life I can say I knew what God was doing in him before he did. It was just so clear and so wonderful and amazing to watch. And I thank you for the way that you have used him and, and other connections you've allowed us to have in our church literally around the world to help us with that first part of Matt's answer, to help us get an increasingly global view of, of the way you see the world you made and how you want to reconcile it to yourself and continue to call people from every nation and every tribe and every tongue to yourself. So we're thankful for those that are serving. And Lord, as I know my friend believes and trusts and literally stakes his life on, our God is sovereign. You are in control. And there is nowhere we will walk that we are outside of your hand, that we are out from under the shadow of your wings. So I pray for our friends in Abalak and in Central Asia, uh, Lord, as they walk through, um, I think of Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. May you make that 
infinitely true in their hearts and in their lives as they walk through these times. And for us, may it continue to help us as we watch how you work and we continue to just hear reports of how things develop. And we just ask you to help it in our lives as well to continue to trust our sovereign God who is ruler. You, Jesus, you are you made it all, and you are Lord of it all, and without you it all falls apart. You made it, and you keep it together, and you are sovereign and creator and Lord over it all. Lord, help us, help us to continue to increase our faith. Be with them. We would ask you, Lord, as, as I've, I've heard Matt pray myself many, many times, yes, Lord, we ask for safety. But our highest hope, our deepest prayer, make this true in our lives, Lord, is that however you work those situations out, that you would receive glory and the gospel would continue to progress in the areas that they've given their lives to. Make that so for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I just, I want to, I want to go back real quick. You don't need to turn there. But I do because I don't have that memorized. But let me let me go back and read that scripture this morning. Um, and they overcame him. This overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives. They did not love their lives to the death. In other words, they were willing to lay their lives down. And um, I'm grateful that I know folks. Um, there's another couple named Mark and Meredith I mentioned occasionally to you. They're in North Africa somewhere. I don't know where they are. Again, a very secure area. And they have uh, three children. And she's expecting another child in about two or three weeks. And... Um, and like I say, their life is hard on three or four levels, but they, they, don't, they don't have uh, electricity. They don't have air conditioning. They have a refrigerator on solar power that keeps things cool. Um, it's a whole different world that they're in, and they're faithfully serving the Lord there. And again, trying to love the Torahic people. So God is good, amen? He really is. So you, if you need some things to pray for, well, you got some tonight. I hope you wrote those down. And you can add those to your prayer list. Well, we left this morning, and I probably should have stayed back there. And we just barely got it in this morning. But in Revelation chapter 20, that Satan was finally cast into the lake of fire, not for a thousand years, not, not held in prison for a thousand years. But in the end, he was, he was held in the lake of fire forever and forever. The bad guy was finally in jail. And like I told you, but that wasn't the end of the story. And that's what we want to spend our time tonight. Uh, hopefully, really, I, I, I misspoke kind of Wednesday night when I said we're going to talk about hell. Because we're going to talk about hell. But really, we're going to talk about a little bit bigger than that. And so, the treat I've got for you tonight, and I, I'm going to say a name, and you won't know the difference probably. But her name is Karen. I'm going to say Heimbach, uh, for lack of a better word. It's very, it starts with an H and ends in, in an H, I think. And she is a, um, she's a dramist. She's an actress. And what she's famous for is that she has memorized the book of the Revelation. And 
usually when she does a concert, again, from memory, she um, has a full orchestra and sound effects that go along with her um, orientation of the book of the Revelation. So I, I wanted you to hear this, and, and uh, Laverne's heard a little bit of it before. And so this is chapter 20 of the book of the Revelation. That's where we'll be spending our time. If you want to get your Bibles open to Revelation chapter 20, that's where we're going to kick off tonight. Uh, it's very dramatic. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, and just listen as she uh, speaks the book of the Revelation. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. And the devil, who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented, day and night, forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. 
pretty incredible, huh? I hope it wasn't too loud for you. If it was, I apologize. I thought it was great. But anyway, you can get that through iTunes if, if that's something you'd like. She does all, all 21 chapters, and it's just incredible. She does a wonderful job with that. So we want to take a look tonight at Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 11. Like I said, the bad guy's in jail, but what you've got to understand is there's consequences after that. Um, you know, if you spill bleach on your clothes, you may immediately run and rinse it out, but chances are you, there's going to be some damage left behind. And Satan ultimately ends up in the lake of fire for, in torment forever and ever and ever. But the consequences of people choosing to believe a lie rather than the truth must be dealt with. And that's what we see in Revelation 20, chapter 11. When John said, I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, whose faith the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. This is an absolute beautiful picture of the holiness of God. Again, because of time, if you're a note taker, you might want to write down Isaiah chapter 6 and go there and read the first six or seven verses as Isaiah has his vision of the holiness of God. I truly believe we don't grasp entirely the holiness of God, and this is a wonderful picture of that holiness. We, we must understand how holy God is because when we understand how holy God is, we begin to understand how sinful we are. And then John said, I saw the dead, small and great. You know, death is the great equalizer here. Whether you are famous or not, rich or poor, American or Russian, what you consider yourself a good person or a horrible person, it doesn't matter. Because John says he, he saw the dead, small and great. And, of course, I think you all know we're talking about lost people here, those who rejected Jesus Christ as Savior. And they were all standing before a holy God. Now let that soak in. These, these folks with all their sin on them. And the appeasement never applied because they rejected Jesus Christ. They're standing before holy God. And then verse 12. And books were opened. And when we taught this back, the judgments, whenever it was a little bit earlier, we talked about this. You know, God is such a just, righteous God that he brings evidence to this great white throne. I was going to say trial, but it's not a trial. He brings the evidence. And these books are the books of evidence. And then he brings another book, the Bible says, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. So we have multiple books that hold all the account of these people's lives. All right, And then we have the book of life. And then the Bible says, And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which are written in the books. Now, again, this is not recorded. These books are not recorded to, to perhaps bring justification. You must understand that at this judgment, there is no justification. But these books are evidence of their rejection of Jesus Christ. That's what I want you to take home tonight. Dwayne, why are the books there? And the reason they're there. It's because God is just, and he brings the evidence of, of the rejection of Jesus Christ. Let me see if I can get this flipped. I don't know that even the right, right place. Hang on a second. I wanted to go real quick to John or to Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. Listen to this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, hath his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even by his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So again, this is not a chance of redemption. This is simply you know, God showing the evidence of why these people are going to be condemned. It will not redeemed, be redeemed, but it will condemn. I do not know if this is an appropriate illustration or not, but I think you'll get it very clearly. You know, recently when that 2005 video came out of Donald Trump in that conversation, how many of y'all would bet money that he wished that video didn't exist? You know, folks, I'm telling you, God doesn't have a massive video camera, but he's keeping track. And many of the people at Great Wealth Throne Judgment will say, I wish that video, I wish those books did not exist. But they do exist. Verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to their works. And then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The whole point of tonight, I think, as I watch the service develop, is verse 15. And anyone, let that soak in. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Who is your anyone? Who is your anyone? Who is it in your life that has not received Jesus Christ as Savior? And then unless somehow they receive Christ, they will be at this judgment. And verse 15 will be the reality. Did you hear what I said this morning? I hope you'll come back tonight because what is written here is going to impact some of the people in that room this morning. Again, I'm not a judger of men's souls. We're going to leave that to God. But I promise you there were people in that building this morning who did not know Jesus Christ as Savior. And if they don't become followers of Christ, if they are not redeemed, if they don't accept the rescue, if they don't have their sins forgiven, this is their fate. And I really want to bring this home. You know, I didn't, I didn't really ever realize that Mohammedun, I would never see him again. And I had a genuine affection for that gentleman, that man, and he for me. Unless he receives Christ, he's a good man. This will be his fate. Matt is making relationships where he is. And as he makes those relationships for each one of those people that refuse to accept Christ, this will be their fate. And I want to bring it right home to us. In your family, in your family, if a nephew, a grandson, a granddaughter, a mom or a dad, a sister, a brother, if they do not receive Christ, this is their fate. This is their fate. And I wrote down in the right margin of my little note sheet here, this should be a great motivation. If you ever wonder why, if you ever wonder why it's important that Dorsville doesn't become like so many other churches, if you, if you ever wonder why Dorsville needs to keep doing missions, keep doing Judgment House, keep doing Vacation Bible School, keep doing the back school thing, if you want a motivation, this is the motivation. Because people that we encounter every day 
do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. Anita, you told me something said in my office. You said you knew that if you died, you'd gone to hell. You share that with me, didn't you? That was her fate before Tuesday afternoon at 2 o'clock. And today she's redeemed by the blood. By the blood. She has a friend named Diane that she is so concerned with. Diane doesn't know Jesus. And we're hoping God's going to be able to get us together where we can share Christ again with them. So let this be our motivation that someone we know who does not have their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life is going to face eternity separated from God unless God intervenes. And we are often that means of intervention, introducing Jesus Christ and the gospel of Christ. We have got to be burdened and concerned about the lost. You know, my friend Donnie Billman often says, prays and says, Lord, trouble them. You're saying, how do, how do you pray for a lost person? You ask God to trouble them. <laughs> you ask God to trouble them that they might sense a need for God. And then we probably need to pray that God would keep us troubled. Because as we are troubled for the lost, once again, we'll keep our focus on who we are as the Dorisville Baptist Church. Now, that wasn't the whole message, of course. So then I went to Matthew 25. Because I want you to understand something. Because I think some of us still wrestle with the concept and the idea that, well, how could God? Well, because, one, God is just and God is holy and, and God made a way and, and, and he's God. That's why. But, but I want you to go to Matthew 25. And I want you to see something very clear. And you might want to write this down because you're going to have a friend one day ask you about, well, how could a good God send people to hell? How could a good God? Would hell was not even created for man. You know, in Matthew 25, 41, we see this. Read it with me. Now, this is, of course, the, the judgment of the nations. Okay? The sheep, goat, the you fed me, you didn't feed me, you clothed me, you didn't clothe me. And this is when he's speaking to, to the ones who did not. Then he will say, also say to those on the left hand, depart from me. That's God's message passed death. There's no hope of redemption. Depart from me, you cursed, unto the everlasting fire. Prepare for who? Prepare for who? The devil and his angels. God did not create hell for man. He created for the devil and his angels. But because God is true and because God is just and because God can't violate his holiness, there has to be a place for those who reject Jesus Christ as Savior. God doesn't send men and women to hell. They send themselves by their own rejection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit at the end. But our job is to make sure that every person we know has the opportunity to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 42, we see those books of evidence. Look what it says in 42. For I was hungry. And you gave me no food. I was thirsty. You gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. It's the book of evidence. God's going to say, look at this. This, this, is your, this is your burden of your sin that you refuse to let Jesus Christ cleanse. And then in verse 44, there, we see, well, well, wait a minute, God. You don't understand. See, we didn't see you hungry or thirsty, or we didn't see you as a stranger or naked or sick or in prison, and you did not minister to you. We did that. And he will answer, surely I say to you as much 
as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. The great right throne judgment will not be a place of excuses or defense. It will be defenseless and without excuse. Again, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So every person, the cutest eight-year-old boy, nine-year-old boy, the most precious grandmotherly type person, without Jesus, will be eternally separated from a place, in a place called hell from God. These folks, we see this, they're going to a place not prepared for man, but prepared for the devil and his angels. And then, 2 Peter chapter 3, take your Bibles and go there. 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter writes and says this. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. This is 3, 8, 9. That with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. We'll talk about that another time. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Because someone by now is saying, wait a minute, if he said he's... if, if if Jesus said he's coming back and it's been like 2,000 years and he hadn't come, seems to me like this may be a fairy tale. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. There is a reason why Jesus hasn't come back yet. He's extending the age of grace. He's giving opportunities away. And we don't want to squander this time. You know, Paul later wrote and said, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We don't want to squander these days of opportunity. Again, I didn't know we had four years in Abelok. I didn't know Nan. I just assumed we always could go back to talk another time with Mohammedun and another time with Mohammedun. Little did I know that one day it was closed. The Lord's not slack concerns prophet promise. He's long-suffering. He's giving lost people the opportunity to be saved. And listen, he's giving his opportunity to his church to be the lighthouse that we need to be. In fact, he says it so plainly. He says he is not willing. He's not willing. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. What a gorgeous, beautiful picture of the openness of the gospel. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His heart's desire is that men, women, and children become saved. And would you agree with me tonight that his heart should be our heart? Now, I, really want, I want you to write that down in your mind. The next time, next time we get off course a little bit and we kind of start thinking about ourselves and what we want and, and what we should do and, and our, our will and our plan, just remember this. His heart should be our heart. He's not willing that any should perish, but all could, should come to repentance. One more place. Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 3. 
Now, again, to be true, I want to tell you that obviously God has spoken to Ezekiel and the message is to him. But the principle is to the church. So, again, Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 16, he's speaking to the prophet, but the principle is to us. Listen to these words. They're very strong. Now, it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, here's the principle. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. And he could easily say, church, I have made you a watchman, not for Israel, but for the entire world. You know, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then I want you to teach them all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. And in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, he said, but you shall be my witnesses. Once the powers come upon you, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria into the uttermost parts of the earth. So you see the principle. When he said, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel, he could say to the church tonight, Church, I, I've made you a watchman. I made you gospel sharers. And on, on the corner of 1300 South Feasel Street, I've made you a watchtower in Harrisburg. But, but beyond that, in, in Illinois and Canada and Haiti and Nicaragua and, and over in Africa, wherever he calls us, I've made you a watchman. I made you a watchman to pray. I, want, I made you a watchman to give. I made you a watchman to go. He says, therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. Don't forget what we're supposed to church. We're supposed to share. In verse 18, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. You shall surely die. And you, church, give him no warning. So when, when, I, speak to, when I speak to the wicked, you shall surely die. And you give, you give them no warning, and nor do you speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way. So, so when you give him no warning, and we don't tell him, turn from their wicked way to, to save his life, to turn from his way to save his life, that same wicked man will die in his iniquity. Our failure to share the gospel does not save that person from hell. Because why? Romans chapter 1 verse 18. Every man is without excuse. The, the majesty of creation screams the existence of God. I think I shared this the other day. I cannot remember. It was Thursday or it was Friday. And Judy said, oh, there's a little bit of pink in the clouds. I can't see it. And I went on down to the park and walked. And I'm walking. All of a sudden, I look over to my right. I'm going this way. I look to my right. And the sky is literally ablaze with the majesty and the color of God. Beautiful reds and pinks just exploding from the horizon. It takes no casual look even to see the majesty of God. 
So man is without excuse. So we must not comfort our souls and say, well, since I didn't tell them, maybe God will show grace. The time for grace is now. Someone say amen. The time for grace is now, not beyond the grave. I know the Catholic Church is, teaches some form of second chance. There is no second chance. And here's how I really want to let soak into your heart. But his blood will I require at your hand. Well, when, when does that occur? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. The judgment seat of Christ. We will be given the opportunity to give account for our lives and receive reward. And I believe we'll be held accountable. Not for our salvation. That's a sealed deal. But for our reward at, at the judgment seat of Christ. We'll be held accountable for what we did and did not do for the kingdom. Look at verse 19. Yet if you warn the wicked, if you warn the wicked. See, our job is to tell, not to win. Our job to, is to tell, not to win. God has told us to go to our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the most parts of the earth. He told us to go. The task of saving the soul is in the hands of Almighty God. Yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he will die in his iniquity. Yes. But you have delivered your soul or you have cleaned your hands. Our responsibility is to share in detail. It's God's responsibility to win that soul. But we must be faithful in our task of sharing and telling. So as we conclude our look, uh, this wonderful long story of Scar Wars and good and evil and all that, that the opportunity is still open for us to be gospel sharers. And, and let me share this with you. You know, there, there, are, there are people who have the gift of evangelism. I mean, they could talk to anyone, uh, cold turkey. And I don't have that gift. I'll be very candid with you. If someone introduces a conversation, I find it pretty easy to share the gospel. Anita, it was easy to share with you the other day. Because Anita came in going, okay, I'm lost. That was her words. I'm lost. I said, I have nothing to do about that. But when, you're, when you don't have that open door, it's sometimes difficult. So let, let, me, let me give you, just give you three. I was going to say two. Let me give you three things. I want you to know specifically what you can do. One, you can pray. And again, using Anita... As the illustration, I said, you pray for your friend Diane that she'll be saved. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. So, so pray for those you know. Make a list of lost people and pray for those people day in and day out. Just leave them on your list and pray for those folks. You know, when there's a sick person, we pray till they get healed. We pray for a lost person till they get saved. Okay? Same principle. Same principle applies. So we, we should pray. We should pray. One, we should live. I just can't tell you how important it is. Um, remember, remember the illustration from 
Wednesday night about the alley. Fortunately, I didn't. Y'all, how many of y'all here Wednesday night? Okay, a lot of y'all are. You remember the situation at the alley. Uh, my friend Dan Pilcher came up and said, Dwayne, you need to watch that alley rage. <laughs> and he was sharing that he had road rage. But anyway, you know, I, make it a point to pray this prayer. You know, God, as I journey today, and whether it's with my neighbors or my family or my grandchildren or my children, wherever I go, may I do nothing that hinders the gospel of Jesus Christ. May I do nothing that hinders the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so we should pray, and then we should live in a way that when someone looks at us, they see a semblance, a mirror of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So those two things are not hard. You know, we should pray, and we should live holy lives. Not religious lives, necessarily. Holy lives. Okay? But don't forget number three, and that is speaking. That is speaking. We must not forget that as much as we can be an example through our lives, we have to have the confidence to share. And let me just make this suggestion, because it sometimes can be very frightening. I just shared that with you from my life. And that is this. Just ask God to open a door. Ask God to open a door. So if you're talking to your friend, and he says or she says something like, yeah, you know, I just know what I'm going to do. My life is falling apart. What an open door. And then simply tell them of an instance in your life where your life is falling apart and how God helped you. And then if you get to that point and you say, I don't know what else to do, Dwayne, then say, hey, would you like to talk to my pastor or one of our pastors? You know, we would love to talk to your friends. We'd love to talk to your friends. So, so be ready when the door is open to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what's at stake? What's at stake? Anyone whose name was not written in the Lamb's Book of Life was cast in the lake of fire forever. There's so much at stake. Let's pray together. Father, I just need to tell you tonight that I'm asking you to do what Donnie prays. I'm asking you to to trouble us tonight. To stir our hearts, Father. For all the anyones that we know. Father, Satan wants so much for us to be distracted and off course. Worrying and fretting about things that don't matter. So we'll keep our eyes off of you and our eyes off the people around us who need Jesus. Father, I want to pray tonight specifically for your heart to be our heart. Your heart's passion to be our passion. I pray, Father, that no matter who they are, God, just keep it on our minds and on our hearts that people who walk toward us at the mall people we see at McDonald's having coffee on on a Saturday morning. So many of them are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And their destiny, their destiny is separation from you. Father, there are some folks in our church that visit week in and week out who may not know you. Again, help us to be a 
lighthouse of your grace and gospel every Sunday, Wednesday that we meet together. Thank you, God, for this really good day. I thank you that I could look back there in the corner and see Anita, who was lost and now she's saved. And already she's concerned about someone else. May her example be our example. I want to thank you for the Dorsville Baptist Church. Thank you for the journey that we've been on. And Father, don't let us lose that journey. Don't let us lose our way. Help us stay focused on, on helping folks and loving people and loving you. We won't let that go away in my heart. So help us, God, to love you and to love others. Now, God, during this decision time, if, if there's something that we need to pray about at the altar, Lord, have folks come forward. If there's something we need to seal the deal with on you tonight, may God help us to do that. And Lord, as we walk through the world tomorrow, as you guide our steps, help us to be your gospel witness. And Jesus, I do pray this in your precious name. Amen.